Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It's a podcast that I record throughout the week and then I put it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world. All right, everybody, I've got a great show lined up for you today, and I've got a little something different in terms of my guest, and uh, the reason that it's different is because last week or maybe the week before, I made such a huge embarrassing error that I decided I need a co-host to keep me from making a complete jackass out of myself all the time by making big mistakes about food word pronunciation, all the things that you guys know from listening to this show that I am always messing up on. So I'm going to audition a bunch of co-hosts. It's going to be kind of like when Jeopardy was looking for a host, except for I'm looking for a co-host. I'm going to have a bunch of different co-hosts come on and do different segments with me. And uh, we'll see if they have the time, the inclination, the, the chutzpah, whatever it takes to sit next to me proverbially because we do it all by zoom in the co-host chair of this show now back in the day i used to have co-host i I talk about him sometimes chef joe scully from chestnut he and i we had a great rapport joe would catch my mistakes because he was a chef you know he knew more than i was and i kept joe from being too much of a pompous jerk uh by always checking him on his personality and stuff And Joe and I had a great rapport and uh, it was, it was great while it lasted. What can I say? And then Joe went away and I've been doing the show on my own ever since. And while I, and and Rick Krillia and I did the wing war, but he's not a radio or podcast. Uh, That's not what he wants to do with his life. He does it for a living and, I had Lucho was was with me quite a bit and Lucho was great, you know, but he's also very busy. It takes a lot of time to do a podcast. People think I just get on here and say things and I do, but then I have to edit it all together. And, you know, it's a commitment and I'm not asking my co-host to do the editing, but it's a commitment just to be here. Anyways, I'm going to audition my first co-host today. And and by the way, the big mistake that I made, and I apologize a million times over to the entire Spanish-speaking world and to the food world, I about a million times, I called a dish Vieja Rojo. It's Vieja Ropa is what it's called. And I said it over and over and over again. And if Joe Scully had been sitting right next to me, he would have corrected me right away. And he also would have made fun of me for being an idiot, which is fine. I need a co-host that's not afraid to make fun of me for being an idiot. So... Stay tuned. I'm going to have a guy named Jeff Anderson come on and be try, try his hand at co-hosting with me. And Jeff is a great guy, great friend of mine, involved with the food industry. I'm going to bring him on. I'm going to interview him. And then we're going to do a segment that I used to do with Joe all the time and that I still do, but I do it all by myself now. A segment called Where'd You Eat? And it's my favorite segment of all time, Where'd You Eat? And part of me and my co-host is you got to go out to eat at least, I don't know, at least once a week. It's not like Joe was going out to eat a million times a week, but I was, and he was going out a few times a week 
and we can talk about it. So let's see if me and Jeff can talk about it. All right, folks. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll be right back. Would you like me to introduce you what's your title these days yeah i mean uh it's all over the place man all uh, right i'll just call you my friend jeff there we go all right all right everybody we're back here at food fan headquarters and here he is he's with me on zoom right now my good friend jeff anderson and i i don't think i've seen you in the flesh for a couple of years is could that be possible Jeff? I think I think it is. You know, you're a man about town, you know, especially with the uh, food tour. So, you know, it might have been an impact, excuse me, in passing. Hey, what's up, Stu? Kind of thing. But uh, yeah, other than that, man, it's been a while. Yeah, maybe at one of the food events, we bumped into each other like Chow Chow or something like that. But right. any hoodles, folks, uh, me and Jeff, we go way back. We've known each other for years and years. Jeff's one of my favorite people in town. No doubt about that. And Jeff is always at the food events. He's very involved with food and when i put out my i put out a public call for a co-host after i made my rojo ropa error error and uh i had several people reply and respond and want to be my co-host and jeff was among them and so with all the people who responded i sent them some questions i did a little vetting and in, in just to get things out of the way and so to get this interview with Jeff started, and, and we'll get more into who Jeff is and all of that in this interview, we're just going to ask Jeff these questions. And Jeff, we'll see if you pass the test. Fire or waste? <laughs> all right. First question. I already know the answer to this one, but people, I asked everyone who responded, do you have a microphone and headphones or earbuds? Jeff, do you have those pieces of equipment? Check and check. And you sound great, brother. I already told you, you sound better than half my guests who use their iPhones and stuff. And that works out fine. I ain't crapping on my guests, but you sound fantastic. And and Jeff, do you have a strong and consistent internet connection? Yes, I do. You know, can't swear to anything. You never know these days. But yeah, I haven't had any issues yet. All right, great. And and Jeff, I know the answer to the, to the first three questions already. Do you know how to use Zoom? I sure do. Yes. Yeah. Now I asked that question because there are straight up people in this town. And I say, can I, can you, do you want to be a guest on my show? And they're like, Oh, I don't know if I have time to come into the studio. And I'm like, I don't do it in studio. I do it via zoom. And they are like, Oh, I don't know how. And they get all weird about it, man. And I have had to forego having guests on my show strictly because they did not know how to use zoom and they were afraid basically <laughs> to try because of their own technological shortcomings or something i don't even know why people freak out about technology i mean i do sometimes so i know all right jeff let's keep going here we get into the meat of it though how often do you go out to eat yeah i think my reply was to an obscene amount uh that's normally the case you know you have busy weeks here and there but you know, being a, a guy from this town and a food lover and you know someone that loves to support the food scene here, I try to get out as much as possible. And it doesn't always have to be somewhere brand new. You know, there's just you can just run through the Rolodex and hit something that you haven't seen or been to in a couple of years very easily for any meal. So quite often, Stu. Well, um, let's let's hone that down, Jeff. By quite often, 
how many times a week does that mean? Because I'll tell you what, I don't necessarily need another eater on this show. I am an eater mm -hmm. myself. And we will get to some other questions that will separate you from me in terms of just being an eater. But Jeff, it's important to me, of course, that my co-host is into the food scene. So how many times a week do you go out to eat, my friend? Yeah, I guess that you're right. So it's all relative, especially when we're talking about you. Uh, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> I would say on average, three to four times a week. And I cook a lot too. So there's that, you know, I, I try to make sure I eat breakfast at home. So there's that meal already taken. All right. At, at least three or four times a week. Perfectly acceptable answer. Because as I said, I'm not necessarily looking for another hardcore eater to sit next to me on this show. And blather on about nothing but or not about nothing but about what we ate which is we're going to get to what we ate in a little bit jeff uh but that is actually a great answer because i want somebody who cooks not only at home but the next question are you or have you ever been a professional chef i have uh i'm that guy that you know anthony bourdain has talked about a few times not specifically but the one that just came up through the ranks right i wasn't traditionally trained uh, that was actually my plan at one point. I took a job in the kitchen at Grove Park Inn. And while I was there, I was putting together the plan to go to AB Tech or even potentially Johnson Wells. And uh, the chef at the time, which I'm not going to be able to recall his name because, you know, I just I didn't know that there, were, there was that path option at the time. Uh, but he gave me some sage advice. He said, look, you don't always have to do that path. As a matter of fact, I get a lot of graduates from these schools that are super fancy french culinary institute etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you throw them in a kitchen and it's fast-paced fall apart okay it's not always the case so he said you're, you're you've already passed the first test you can survive in a kitchen you can keep your your head straight so yes i was a professional chef it took me a, a few years um but I, I definitely was yes for about i would say overall in the kitchen, I was in there about 10 years, and I'd say about three of that, I was, I had positions as a professional chef. Exactly. All right, Jeff. Uh, that, that is also an adequate answer. So you're doing great. So far, you're acing yes. this, uh, this oral exam I'm giving you here. All right. What is your current connection to the local food scene, Jeff? My next question. Current connection, you know, I'm a uh, supporter. The most recent thing, I guess, as far as professionally professionally connected would be um i am a consultant in marketing and business and oftentimes i try to look for clients that are in the same industry it's you know somewhat easy being the, in the town that we're in so i've consulted for a catering company about this time last year for nearly six months uh, where i helped onboard new chefs help design their menu they were growing into new spaces growing in general um, and then prior to that was the Asheville Strong thing that I think we may touch on later. So I'll leave that alone for the moment. I'm sorry, Jeff, you're kind of going in and out with the audio. And I think it might be because you're moving around. Ah, sorry so about that. Can you can you mention Asheville Strong again? I, I picked it up, but I'm not sure the audience would have been able to hear that. Yeah, so Asheville Strong was the, I guess, two instances ago where I was most connected to the food scene in Asheville. Um uh, I was a co-founder of that program and we were very involved in this food scene, everything from working with the growers to uh, delivery folks, chefs, 
chef slash owners, the, uh, the folks making the food, the chefs, the cooks, as well as those folks that were out of jobs and looking for ways to just put something in their belly. So if you need more information on Asheville Strong, I can go into that, but it goes pretty deep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. People can look it up. What's the, what's the web address there, Jeff? Uh, AshevilleStrong.com. But I think it's actually not a thing anymore. We we kind of worked ourselves out of a job, which is a great thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you, you did it and it's done and that's great. And there's plenty of other organizations in town. I'm sure Absolutely. that if they need volunteers, you'd be among the first to step up. Um, and, uh, Jeff, uh, th- these are just a couple of, uh, sort of podcast related questions. Are you willing to record on site at restaurants and festivals, as well as at food trucks and parties and Abs- such? Absolutely. Sounds like a blast. Okay. That, that actually sounds like probably would be your favorite way to record knowing you like I do, Jeff. Uh, and, uh, the last one's kind of boring is just, when would you be available? And uh, let me just say, cause that was kind of boring. Are you available weekly? Are you going to be able to commit to this, Jeff? The chips are being laid down. If you were to be selected by myself and my audience as my exciting new co-host, would you be able to commit to recording every Monday for at least 40 minutes? Absolutely. Absolutely. The answer is absolutely, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Well, ding, ding, ding. Jeff passed the test, and I already knew he did because I sent him these questions a couple of days ago. And, uh, and Jeff, I think you would be a wonderful co-host, but time will tell. We'll record a segment and, uh, you know, like one of my regular segments that I do, and we'll see how that goes. And we'll have you back on a couple more times. I don't think this is something we can figure out in one shot. And if the people I'm auditioning can't show up more than once to audition, how the heck are they going to show up more than once to record the podcast if they get selected. So that'll be part of the the test. And I'm sorry I'm running y'all through the rigor. I'm just mostly doing it for fun. And because I didn't want to shoot down the bunch of people who wrote to me and said that they would love to give it a try. So I didn't want to say no to people. So I'm saying yes to everybody pretty much. Um, now, Jeff, uh, thank you for putting up with me during the grueling question period. And uh, if you don't mind, we've got about 15 minutes and I would like to record a segment and I'd like to record one of my favorite segments. And we're going to have to be careful that we don't go over time on this one. But I would like to record a segment called Where Where Do You Eat? Where Do You Eat, Jeff? And it's just basically that. We just tell each other where we ate in the past week, just one week and where we went to eat. And I'll get started and we'll go back and forth. And I've got, let's see, let me count. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things on my list. So I'll go through mine. I won't linger too much on mine. Uh, how, how many places did you eat at last week, Jeff? Uh, I've got two written down here. I just, I'd like to focus on one mostly just because I ate so much at it. We had a special event that we were doing there and uh, the chefs brought out damn near everything that they made. All right. It's just a lot to go over there. Okay. Well, in that case, let's not do so much back and forth. Let me tear through mine and then I'll hand. No, that's boring. Let me, uh, let me let you do yours first. So go ahead, Jeff. Where'd you eat this week, Jeff? Oh, well, thank you for asking. So yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> the last place that I ate this week was Golden Owl. And that is in uh, the, the new Radical Hotel and River Arch District. Are you familiar with it? 
the golden hour in the radical hotel, sometimes referred to as just the rad. I am only familiar with it from the opening party. I tried to go back and I swear I was there during opening hour during hours of operation, but they were not open. I don't know what happened, but Jeff, how was it? What'd you get? Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, I was lucky enough to be there with chef Jacob Sessoms and he was well, kind yeah. of, uh, guiding the food out and uh, they were you know taking photos of all the dishes and uh, it was great man I really loved the presentation uh, the flavors were there it wasn't something that I loved is that it had great plating but it wasn't pretentious in flavors it wasn't something that you had to be an over-the-top foodie to appreciate okay I feel like the pendulum is kind of swinging in that direction these days you know sometimes the food world is all ate up with being fancy and super cutting edge and creative. And other times they're just like, no, nah, let's be a little more traditional. And I think the eaters kind of uh, guide that rudder. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a chicken, it's a chicken and egg thing. Do the chefs uh, swing the pendulum or do the eaters? But right now I have noticed that the pendulum is swinging towards a little more simplicity, a little bit more sort of big, big ingredients rather than a lot of little ingredients. Is that what you were finding at the golden hour there? I absolutely. And I think, I think it is a situation where just kind of, you know, things go and they flow back and forth, right? It's, you know, you went through that phase of like everything had a foam on it. Right? And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, well, one of the, one of the head chefs there, not Jacob, uh, but another one that was working with us that day, he goes, you know, these guys back in the day, they want to throw a foam on everything, but you know, what I found is they couldn't make, they couldn't properly cook the fish that the foam was on. Yeah. So great, you made it a foam, but the fish was garbage. So, yeah. you know, let's get back to the basics. Let's make the food just taste good. And then if it looks good, great, that's a bonus. Yeah, I I agree. And I, don't get me wrong, I love foam. If it's done right and it's on the right presentation and if the fish is not garbage, uh, then give me, give me some foam. But I also am like, yeah, just any kind of sauce will do over here, whatever. Just need some sauce. I'm a sauce fan. Um, and foam is like sauce that's been kind of like, cause it, it I don't know. We're talking about foam too much, Jeff. You got me thinking about <laughs> foam over here. Um, you foaming at the mouth of a foam. Oh, Jeff. Um, so yeah, uh, golden hour. It's pretty nice over there at the radical. I mean, the rooftop bar, did you go up to the roof? I did not. No, we stayed in the restaurant the whole time. They did kind of tease the idea that the cafe was going to be opening up soon. So I'm excited to check that out. And the way that kind of came into the conversation is that there was a, a bread dish off to the side that we had overlooked. Uh, we weren't sure if it was going to be, it was prepared for service because we were teetering on the time of opening. So we mm -hmm. kind of left it alone. Um, then we discovered it. And this, the other chef, I think his name is Chris, could be wrong. Don't quote me there. Uh, but he said, gosh, you guys missed, you know, one of the better parts of the mill. There's this huge bread dish and it was gorgeous. That's kind of why we left it alone. It looked too nice for us. Uh, but he said that it was one of the uh, top bakers from brew and from buttons bagels. So that they had really hit the, uh, hit the old gold mine with this guy and that, that the, uh, bakery downstairs was massive. So they could really, it was big enough for them to easily support themselves, the cafe and potentially vendors outside. I didn't realize there was even a base a bakery in the building. Like yeah. that's total news to me. And that kind of explains also like why when I went, I was like, well, I can't even find the cafe. So the cafe wasn't open, is still not open yet. 
Correct. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they said they'd give me an invite. If so, I'll make sure you know about it. I'm sure you'll know about it anyhow. So. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I get, I get invited. This was kind of funny, Jeff. I got invited to a tasting of a new menu and then the chef was like, I'm not ready yet. Can we postpone? And I said, yeah, fine. And then a week later, chef was like, I'm still not ready. Can we postpone again? And I said, yeah, no problem. And then just yesterday I was in the restaurant and, and the new menu's there. <laughs> People were eating off of it. And I was like, I'm just gonna come in and buy some food, man. Like I'm no, I'm being denied. Like I'm behind the curve because I'm like waiting for a tasting to happen. So yeah, yeah sometimes I just need to get my ass in there and not not wait for the invite, you know. Hey, you know you're uh, you've got a good palate, man. Maybe they were afraid to bring Mr. Stu Helm in until they got it super dialed in. You never know. I don't know. I hate to think anybody's afraid of me. I'm just, <laughs> just an idiot. And if the food tastes good, I'll tell people. And if it doesn't taste good, I won't tell anybody. Um, and and Jeff, uh, so that was that's one place you went, Golden Hour. What's the other place? Man, this one's just, you know, it's it's simple, but always good. And I just love the people that own the place, but it's the med, the med oh, downtown. The med. Yeah, the med is awesome. Um, yeah classic oldest restaurant in downtown Asheville been around since 1969 classic diner style if anybody remembers the old uh Saturday Night Live skit from way back in the 70s it's a classic sort of cheeseburger 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 type of diner that where the line is right there on the other side of the counter and every time I go in there there's a fancy chef sitting at the counter so it doesn't surprise me that that was mm. one of your meals now the, the locals love the med if I if I was from out of town, I don't think that I would really bother with the med. And I'm not just saying that to keep tourists out of our favorite local joint, but I think I would go have breakfast someplace like Capella on Nine, which is like way up high on the ninth floor of a hotel, just because it's a little bit more exciting view for a tourist than sitting in a diner, which you might have in your own hometown, but not as good as the med, that's for sure. And that's owned by um sam cronenberg nowadays and her husband remind me of her husband's name jeff do you remember mm -hmm. i think it's tom thanks for blowing me out there yeah i can't remember i know, I, I, I know eli is part of the ownership as well i think okay. they've got a group which i love that whole model you know they they opened up uh the first location over there um the uh mountain uh <laughs> the foggy mountain Foggy Mountain, that's right. Yeah, and the food Foggy. was so great. And I think they just noticed that they had such a great crew with them that, uh, you know, they brought a couple of the key players in on ownership, which, again, coming from a consulting point of view, I really love that model. Not everybody gets that and they get really afraid of sharing. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got people with skin in the game. They're going to be there all the time. You're going to uh -huh. make sure that the quality is up there. And it's really proven to be the case with the med. I think that's how that worked was that you know, a few of them got together and took over the med, but uh, yeah, great people. Love those and guys. they kept the line of continuity with the menu and with the look and feel. And I, f I feel like the quality of the food went up a notch when Sam and company took over, but um, the, the menu did not change radically. The prices did not change radically and the decor did not change at all. And I think that that was a wise move because when you take over a restaurant like that, it's kind of like you're being handed the keys to a Asheville landmark in a way, and a, a foodways landmark here in in this town. It's been around longer than longer than almost anything else downtown. 
you know, tops for shoes, even started in the 1970s. And so uh, the man's yeah, even, as, even older. As a local, I will say that when things like that happen, when that gets passed along to the next person, uh, you know, we're very much keeping a close eye to be like, what's about to happen? Is this going to be the next frou-frou diner that's just not a diner anymore? And, yeah. you know, every piece of, uh, every burger on the, on the menu is going to be 30 bucks and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But yeah, you're right. They kept it, they kept it real. They did, uh, you know, bring in better ingredients. They churched it up a little bit, which I think was the perfect amount. So, yes, yeah, I agree. They, they took it up just a notch. Gave it a little scrub and polish, and it's one of the best burgers in town. Maybe the best French fries in town, although where did I have some French? Oh, man, I went to Laughing Seed. Let, let me get to my list, Jeff. That was a great list. Two oh, on please. your list, two great ones. Yeah. I went to Laughing Seed last week, and they might have the best French fries in downtown Asheville. Their French fries are so crispy and sort of translucent almost in the thin parts, and uh covered in jalapenos and onions and they're just fantastic. But the Met also has great fries. So yeah, I, I went to Laughing Seed with my uh, with my wife Dawn and her sister Patty Joe and uh, Patty Joe's husband Kanan. And Patty Joe and Kanan are vegan. And so we went to good old Laughing Seed, the oldest vegan vegetarian restaurant in Asheville. And Jeff, I got their slider burger, which is made out of seitan and beans and stuff it's like ground seitan and uh it was freaking good man it was real good like i'm craving that burger and those fries ever since so i'm gonna try to get back into laughing seed real soon before the actually before the year ends if i can and uh the, i did get some cheese on my burger so it was vegetarian quote unquote not vegan but you could get it without the cheese and it would be 100 percent vegan and my vegan relatives they loved it they both loved what we got. And uh, uh, Patty Joe got a um, a Reuben made out of sweet potato pastrami. And it was so tasty and good. So if if folks are vegan, vegetarian, you got to get into the laughing seat. But even if you're not, which I am not, I'd be eating a real hamburger almost every day of the week. But I'll go get this vegan burger again. And I'll probably add it to my regular rotation, especially to get those fries, Joe. Have you, when's the last time you ate at laughing seat? Uh, it's been a couple of years, but yeah, uh, something you probably didn't know about me is that I actually worked there with Chef uh, Jason Sellers, the owner of Plant Asheville. Before he uh, created Plant, he was the chef there. And if I'm not mistaken, they make their seitan in-house. Uh, in yes, they do. They do. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's so good. Yes, yes, yes. And, and Plant, of course, is like if Laughing Seed is sort of the casual um standard for vegans and vegetarians plant is the sort of fancy standard mostly for i think it's entirely vegan over there at plant um so yeah great meals don't i mean up here in this hippie town do not sleep on the hippie food it's real freaking good and a lot of them have been doing it longer than the other restaurants like uh, laughing seed i don't i don't know 25 years at least um in the was uh, was the eggplant rollantini still on the menu do you know I didn't see it, Jeff. Oh I, gosh, I that was one it. of my favorites back in the day. Okay, I, lo I loved making it. I loved eating it. It was just beautiful. Uh, yeah, shout out Rolatini. Seed. Uh, yeah, put shout it back out on the menu. Yeah, uh, best for me these days. Best Rolatini in town is at Manicomio. Their eggplant Rolatini is to die for, man. All right, Jeff. I just got the ten minute warning, so 
I'm going to tear through. And I, folks, the, my uh, my listeners know that I'm cheap. I don't pay for my Zoom account. I'm sorry, world. I got to pry 40 bucks out of my pocket and pay for this. But I only really want to record with my guests for a half hour, 40 minutes anyways. But uh, we've got I've got a countdown clock going here. Jeff, and I'm going to rip through where I went to eat. I went to Farm Dog and I got a bratwurst that was grilled and had uh, slaw, beer cheese, and lusty monk mustard on it. It was fantastic. It was in a King's Hawaiian hot dog roll. Um, I went to Session Cafe. I've been kind of obsessed with Session lately. The atmosphere is really great. It's over there in the Citizen Times building on O'Henry. And uh, I got the, the egg sandwich. This is my favorite breakfast sandwich right now. It's got scrambled eggs tomato uh bacon cheese and peppers uh very buttery bread really great and i got the cauliflower bowl not my huge type of thing to order but the chef chef cheryl was like you gotta try my cauliflower bowl and i did and it was really good if i'm looking for a real healthy meal i'll eat that the cauliflower was cooked until perfectly tender that was great i was worried it was going to be raw cauliflower jeff which i freaking hate what are your thoughts about raw cauliflower yeah, not a fan. Not a fan. I also do not like overcooked cauliflower. So yeah, there's a there's a perfect place there for cooked cauliflower. But yeah, there is. Well, I don't even like uh, I don't even like it on a dip board. You know, no, it's not my thing. Get it off that pickle. dip board. Like yeah, it doesn't even belong. It, pickle it. Yes, Jeff. Pickle your cauliflower, then put it on the dip board. I'm perfectly willing to dip some pickled cauliflower into some ranch. Right, like that ain't gonna hurt <laughs> me at all. Uh, I also went to Bargello, which is the um, uh, restaurant in the Aris Hotel. And I've been going there a lot lately. And I went with a tour. Uh, I brought a tour in there and they served everybody a beautiful burrata. And they made one for me. And burrata is kind of like really trendy right now. It's basically a ball of mozzarella with stracciatella cheese inside. And the stracciatella is very creamy, almost like a clotted cream or a, a heavy cream of some kind and uh very super delicious so recommend bargello for the burrata uh, i also brought a tour into twisted laurel i bring them in there as much as i can because the chef chef tom lafauci's kicking so much ass at twisted laurel and he made a really beautiful pork tenderloin for everybody a little piece of it it's just fantastic and he won my one and only award for best hunks of meat jeff i i invented that award just so i could give it to tom and then i retired the award do, do you go into twisted very much yourself uh, i do but mostly the one in weaverville my mom lives out that way and it's kind of a go-to when we have a little fam family gathering so um gosh their um uh, their appetizer board is so good where they've got and i hate to even say this as a, as a previous chef but they have a deep fried pepperoni and their mozzarella uh, cheese sticks are so good. It's one of those yeah. things where it's like, it doesn't have to be pretentious. It's all about execution, right? If it's something, if it tastes good at the end of the day, that's all it needs to matter. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you, the one in, in downtown Asheville is a totally different game than the one in Weaverville. And yeah. uh, the chef there is awesome. And he's making awesome entrees and house-made pasta, handmade in-house, all the pastas, some of the best in Asheville. So try to get into Twisted Laurel downtown and uh, go for dinner if you can and get and share some entrees with your friends. Um, 
And uh, let me just say, I bought some meat from Bear's Barbecue and I brought it home and I put it on tacos for days. And I recommend that to people like buy quarter pound of brisket, quarter pound of chicken, quarter pound of pork and bring them home, keep them in your fridge and buy a big old stack of commercial corn tacos. And you just be making tacos for days with that stuff. And it's awesome. I made a cheeseburger taco and people kind of made fun of me online about it, but it was just chopped brisket and American cheese, ketchup and mustard on a taco shell. It was freaking great, Jeff. I don't know what people are making fun of me for calling me white. If it's good, it doesn't matter. That's right. Matter. I got accused of being white. Does anything hurt as much? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, let's see. Went to Dilbar. Had some crazy deep fried donut things. They were pretty good. They were a lot of food for me, and I was expecting a little crunchy snack, and it was like a major deal. I love Dilbar. There are things there that I like better than what I got, but I'll go back. And and last but not least, I went to the 10-year anniversary party for, for Rhubarb right downtown. And John Fleer gave very touching speeches. And what was great was that many, many of his past employees were there um, and cooking. And he shouted them out. So it was kind of like, a, this is your John Fleer, this is your life told in sous chefs. And uh, so it was really something special. And a lot of luminaries there. I sat at a table with Ame Diaz from Salsas and uh, Bamba. And uh, I think I, I was sitting next to a couple of farmers from Gaining Ground, I believe. So that's what I ate, Jeff. I ate at uh, seven, eight places. You ate at two. That's the way it <laughs> used, used to go. And I would do this segment with my old co-host, Joe Scully. Uh, and so that's pretty par for the course, man. And you ate at some great places. And Jeff, uh, thanks for coming on and auditioning with us. Uh, we'll have you back because I feel like when I have my co-host come back several times, we hit our stride. And we hit our groove. And uh, so let's let's get you back on. But I'm going to say, and I'll let my listeners be the judge of this. I'm just kidding. I'm always the judge of everything here. Uh, I'm going to say you pass the test. You're going to go to the next level. This is like squid games, man. You're going to the next level, Jeff. I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, let's You're, do this. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining me, man. I hope you have a great day. Uh, please give my best to your mom. And uh, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's do this again next week. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Stu. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Western North Carolina is one of the hunger hotspots in the country. And although we think of Asheville as Food City USA, right now thousands of our neighbors are currently experiencing not enough. But you can help. Mana Food Bank has been serving the Western North Carolina area for over 40 years with much needed food support. And with Mana, just $1 can provide four meals. Learn more at manafoodbank.org. Yeah, y'all give to Mana if you can during this uh, giving season, as they call it, during the holidays, as they say. And there's a lot of holidays that happen during this time of year. So we celebrate them all right now in our house, or not all of them. That would be a lot of holidays to celebrate, but we do a little bit of Hanukkah at this time of year. Happy Hanukkah to all my Jewish friends. 
And uh, and we do a lot of holiday traditions, like a ton and a ton around food, like food, 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 food. During this time, I put on what I call my Christmas calories or I take in my Christmas calories and put on my winter weight. Uh, I'm a different weight class in the winter months than I am all summer. And uh, a lot of that comes strictly from cookies like straight up cookies eat a lot of cookies in the holidays we make a lot of cookies at home and i was just downstairs talking to don about what i was going to talk about on my upcoming podcast and she was like you should talk about all of our food traditions like christmas and i i said well i feel like i've talked about christmas a lot but you know i love christmas so i'm going to talk about it a lot and um, and for me, let me just clarify, I have covered this before. I was raised as a Christian. My dad was a Christian minister, and Christmas was a big deal in our house. I, these days, identify as more of an agnostic, leaning towards paganism. And as somebody of Northern European descent, I celebrate some of the pagan holidays that are tied to the seasons. And one of them, of course, is the big feast that nowadays people call Thanksgiving. We just did that. And now we got Christmas, which although it's been, you know, it's part of Christianity and stuff, it also has a lot of deep pagan roots. And we celebrate with a lot of lights. And we just bought a tree. We bought it from a place called Boyd's Tree Farm. So if you uh, and they're local, real nice people, Boyd's Tree Farm, if you want to look them up. And uh, our tree is great. Man, this thing's sucking up a lot of water. I can't believe it. Like, I keep pouring water into the thing, and then it's gone, like, within hours. So I hope that means it's going to last a long time. It's a nice full tree, and it already smells great. So I'm super psyched about Christmas. My nephew is coming over tonight. We're going to decorate the tree, and we're going to eat. We're going to eat snacks. Whenever we decorate the tree at our house, we eat trashy snacks and so i bought some frozen uh vegan crab uh fritters see how those are gonna go down and don's going to the store today to buy a bunch more trashy snacks so we're gonna unwrap our many 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 ornaments and decorate the tree eat trashy snacks and maybe watch die hard but my my chiropractor has this board where you write things on it. There's always a question, a dry erase board. And the question was, what's your favorite holiday movie? And I, I almost, I always forget to write on the board, right? But they asked me as I was getting my neck cracked and, and stuff, I almost said a swear word there. Uh, I don't swear on the podcast. If you want to hear me swear, follow me on TikTok. I swear my ding dang head off over there. Um, but yeah, they asked me, what's your favorite holiday movie, Stu? And I said, I, I'm not sure. I've seen them all so many times. And this year, I think we're probably going to watch Die Hard. And the chiropractor was like, Die Hard? And I said, yeah, the Bruce Willis movie. And she was like, "That that's a Christmas movie? And I said, well, yeah, it's considered a Christmas movie. And then this uh, older lady laying on the table next to me with her face down in the cushion thing her muffled voice said it takes place at christmas time <laughs> and i just thought it was great that this older woman getting her back worked on piped in about uh the, or the christmas credentials of the movie die hard but i think that's what we're going to watch while we decorate the tree but let me talk about some of our 
food traditions, because I mentioned cookies and we do a lot of stuff around cookies. We have a lot of good shapes. We've collected a lot of good holiday shapes. We have a couple that are from when I was a little, little kid. Me and my sister would use these shapes. And because I am sort of the keeper of the holiday traditions, I got the shapes. And so I'm super proud to be the owner of the family shapes. And I have added a lot of others to them. Christmas trees, stars, uh, pieces of holly leaves, Santa shapes. And we have uh, a Santa head, like a big old Santa head shape that you're supposed to decorate with a lot of frosting, white frosting for the beard, red frosting for the hat. You're supposed to create the face on the cookie, right? Like it doesn't come with a defined face. It's just the shape of Santa's head. And it's big. It's like maybe four inches across type of thing. And uh, maybe three. Anyways, uh, we have a competition every year where we decorate these Santa heads. And uh, there's usually four or five participants, me and Don. We are both art school graduates with art degrees. And Don is actually a, an art professor. And then we have my nephews. They both participate and have been since they were little boys. A lot of the art traditions were developed when my nephews were really young and they carry on today even though now they're in their 20s and one of them doesn't live here in Asheville anymore so unfortunately we can't include him in all of our holiday traditions but he'll be back soon so we'll hopefully be able to hit him up for the cookie decorating competition and then we have a third party judge which one wins and I'm happy to say that when I did the, the very first time we did this I did win and then everybody was kind of mad because they were like, oh, he's an artist. Of course he won. But hey, man, I did my thing and I won the competition. This, isn't that the nature of a competition? Don't be hating on me because I went to art school, man. Don did too. Hers was good too, but mine won the competition. But ever since then, I have never won the cookie Santa head, the Santa head cookie decorating competition it's just never happened again and that's because i i try to be different you know one day i decorated it not as santa's head but i interpreted the shape as something totally different and people were like that's not santa's head it's like well that's the whole point i i did a different thing with the same shape and eh, rejected one year i just simply did i made some black frosting and i simply did a line or a dot line dot face, you know, like the old school emoji. That's just like, what is it? It's kind of the I'm over it emoji. It's just like a dot, an underscore and another dot. It neither smiles nor frowns, just kind of stares at you like whatever. And I thought that that was awesome. It was just like a plain sugar cookie. We do this all with sugar cookies, by the way, that Dawn makes. She makes all the dough. Dawn's a great baker. And uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty creative. But in my family, you don't get any points for creativity. You just, if you do a straight up awesome interpretation of old school Santa with white and red frosting and a little pink face and rosy red cheeks, and you're going to win the Santa competition, cookie competition. So I'll probably try to go old school again this year. Now with, and, and that's all that is with my Asheville family, my sister, her kids, her husband, and my mom, who we all, and Dawn, my wife, and we all live here in Asheville. But then we have other family 
up in Michigan. And we don't get to see them at Christmas, which is a shame because it's a lot more Christmassy up in Michigan than it is in North Carolina, although it is chilly right now. And I like that. But I just got a Facebook memory about like six inches of snow or four inches of snow from six years ago. Sad. I wish we had some snow this year. It has not snowed yet. They keep teasing us, but it has not happened. Fingers crossed. Um, but up in Michigan, we wish we could spend time with the folks up there. And uh, but we can't. So we last year did something for the very first time. We sent I bought everybody on Amazon. I bought everybody a gingerbread house cookie cutter set. And I sent them think about ordering online. You can send stuff to other parts of the country. And so I sent every member of the family up there one of these things. And we also have some relatives in Tennessee. So I sent them one, too. And the idea is that we would all make these things and we would have an online competition. And actually, I should back up and say that a couple of years ago, we were up there closer to the holidays and we actually did this gingerbread house competition and we bought the pre-made gingerbread houses. I mean, the houses weren't made, but the dough and the pieces were already preformed. Nowadays, we make the dough uh, and we make a high quality gingerbread dough and then we cut the pieces with our sets and so the first year we did it live in person and it was really fun and we made a bunch of wacky crazy ones and they were freaking great and this year or last year that was two years ago was the first year uh then last year we tried to do it online and i actually can't recall as i record this if anybody else did it but me and don but boy howdy we sure did and we made a great great gingerbread house and we decorated it real nice and we actually put some lights inside and everything so it lit up and we integrated it into our massive christmas village our christmas village takes up a whole six foot long table and that's getting crowded like overdevelopment in the christmas village is resulting in a crowded situation there uh but and especially with the addition of this great big gingerbread house into the middle of it but man, it was great. It looked great in the village. And then um, at the end of the Christmas season, Don and I, we we got out the iPhone and we set it up on a tripod and we hit record and we smashed the gingerbread house with mallets and uh, a little baseball bat. And it was fun to smash the gingerbread house. And then we made we posted a slow motion video of it. That was great. And then we ate that dang gingerbread, man. And it had been sitting in the Christmas village for weeks. And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to go for it. The, one of the reasons that we made the dough was so that we wouldn't, so that perhaps we could eat it and not uh, throw away a bunch of cookie dough and treat cookies, cookie dough like it's, when you buy the stuff from the store, it's awful and you're never intended to eat it. It's just a building material. And I'm like, why not just build buy Lincoln logs at that point and build the same house every year and not buy. So anyways, we decided to eat the house and I'm telling you what, it was really good. It was dry as dry could be, but it wasn't hard. It was kind of crunchy dry. And uh, I ate the crap out of that thing. I, I think I ate it all. I can't remember, but uh, yeah. So that's one of our cookie or two of our cookie traditions. 
And then uh, one of the major traditions that I started a few years ago, and I, I think I talk about all of these things every year uh, on the podcast. Uh, this this is episode 133 of the podcast, by the way. So I've been at it for a long time. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, one of the traditions I started was a Christmas cake. And the Christmas cake is based on two things. It's based on a king cake, a New Orleans uh uh, tradition and a Christmas cake, which is a, a New England tradition. And a Christmas cake in New England is born out of a tradition of uh, pubs would make a giant cake, like the the inn, the pub, the bed and breakfast, whatever have you, way back in the day, like 1700s or whatever, but maybe even earlier, would make a, a big old spice cake. And back then spices were rare, you know, so you only did this like once a year. You make a big spice cake, and that would hopefully attract all the all the farmers that lived outside the town to come in. And back then, America was an agricultural society, right? And so all the farmers would come into town to drink, get a piece of this very rare spice cake, and uh, the merriment would be pretty high up there in the merriment field, like measurement field. Uh, so... Uh, they, this is these two, and the king cake, of course, has one plastic baby inside the cake, and whoever gets the plastic baby, I don't know, has good luck for the rest of the year or whatever. It's a, it, and the baby is baby Jesus. So I decided to just straight up combine these two traditions, and I make a fancy Christmas cake every year, and I put a trinket inside of every slice of the Christmas cake. So it's just another little thing to give people i love to give people little things and so uh every slice has a trinket and every trinket has a meaning that i ascribe to it and then we talk about the meaning and we talk about last year and we talk about the upcoming year we make some predictions about the upcoming year and we write them down to see if they come true and uh they i think we got about a 20 30 percent hit rate on these predictions sometimes people play it pretty safe with the predictions uh and we eat the crap out of this cake and we moan and we groan because we have it on christmas day the same day that we eat a giant meal and we have in our family we have either a pot roast or uh some uh, what's a rack of ribs or a rack of ribs with uh we well beef wellington we do a beef wellington uh with the popovers and stuff and so yeah we hit it up we hit up the food dawn makes a, a christmas eve dawn who is half of her family is italian uh with a strong food tradition there they even owned a restaurant dawn makes a, a fantastic italian meal she herself is not italian but she absorbed a lot of these food ways and she has a lot of the family recipes and makes a wonderful Italian spread. And we don't do a whole feast of the seven fishes because we're not hardcore Italian and we don't can't eat that much food. We're not a big family either. And we're not Catholic. And so that and that has some Catholic uh connotations to it. But uh we love fish and we love Italian food. And so Don makes a cipino with several kinds of fish and we make sure that with the chipino and maybe a couple of appetizers and sides we've got seven different kinds of fish on our table so yeah we hit up the food traditions and i could talk about them all year if you want to i'd love to hear your food traditions uh, i don't get a lot of comments on the podcast but i would love it if people would 
either drop me an email at stuhelmavl at gmail.com or find me online anywhere and make a comment on one of my posts and tell me your Christmas traditions. All right, folks, I'm going to uh, cut out for a little bit and I'll come right back and we'll wrap this uh, show up for this week. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoy my theme song. I know it's a little, what did my friend Lucho call it? A little um, boisterous, I think. He used a funny word to describe it. I don't think he likes it, but I hope you do. It is a little piece of a little song. The, song, the whole song's only 30 seconds long, and the song's called Cheese Wagon, and it's by an old ancient punk rock band called the Dorita Sisters. So you can look them up on YouTube. Thank you to the Dorita Sisters for letting me use their song Cheese Wagon as my theme song. Uh, and speaking of cheese, let's talk about cheese because I've always wondered what uh, stracciatella is. Stracciatella? Stracciatella. Stracciatella. I can't say words. I look them up. I learn how to say them. And in between learning and saying them, I forget. Uh, I did look this up. Stracciatella, I think it's called, or stracciatella maybe. Not sure. Let's go with stracciatella. It often gets listed here and there and everywhere, and I don't know what it means. And so I looked it up online, and the first thing I find is that it means ice cream. It's a kind of ice cream from Italy. Of course, we all know the words from Italy just by the way it's pronounced and spelled. Um, but and but I I'm thinking I've never it's it's on menus like on savory dishes and stuff, not ice cream. So I dig like a half an inch deeper and I find out that it is the actual cream, like this super creamy cheese, I guess, sort of like a smooth cottage cheese, if you will. Maybe I'm not describing it properly. Chefs can write to me and correct me on this stuff if they want to. My email address, by the way, is stuhelmavl at gmail.com. That's S-T-U-H-E-L-M-A-V as in victory, L as in lion at gmail.com. So write to me with questions or answers if you have either of those things for me. So the stracciatella is a very creamy, rich cheese think of it almost as a clotted cream and uh, that is what is inside of burrata uh, burrata being mozzarella with a creamy center and the center is the stracciatella so with all of this knowledge in mind let's talk about the arabiata arabiata pizza let me try that again the arabiata pizza at um at Contrada and Contrada is a tiny little pizza place that has other great food and great drinks on Wall Street it's part of James Beard award nominated restaurant Cucina 24 owned and operated by amazing chef Brian Canapelli and Don and I love to go to Contrada and we often go with my nephew and uh, we did just that a couple weeks ago and when we go there there is one pizza in particular that we hone in on and we have started to get every time, and that is the Arabiata pizza. And it has Calabrian chili, garlic, and stracciatella. And then on the recommendation of the folks who work there, we made it quote-unquote baller style 
baller b-a-l-l-e-r they were like uh when we get that one we do it baller style and we were like then that's how we want to do it yo and that just means they add some pepperoni to it so it was awesome what can i say this pizza very dank very flavorful very heavy uh not not like in a bad way in a very good way like heavy duty pizza that fill you the f up and the pepperoni is super delish and adds an extra extra layer of umami to it and the whole thing is just a fantastic experience and the stracciatella are little balls that are placed around here there and around on the pizza and they melt and they're freaking great so go in and get that baller style arrabbiata pizza and you won't uh be disappointed um but i'm also going to say please don't go in because the place is so small i don't want you to take my seat so yeah go in on the weekends i'll go in on wednesdays um and also while we were there we got a broccoli calabrese salad with some lemon ricotta on it and that was also freaking delicious uh, don't don't be afraid to order everything off of the menu at Contrada. The food there is incredible. And the service is great, very friendly. Our friends, some uh, folks that we've become very friendly with over the years from seeing them at different high, really high-end restaurants and stuff are working there at the bar. And uh, great, great experience. So Wall Street, please don't go. Don't go to Contrada. Don't take my seat. It's tiny. I don't want anybody else to know about this place. Why am I even talking about it? Forget I said anything. You're getting sleepy, very sleepy. Um, all right, folks, that's the end of the show. I want to thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, uh, maybe possible future co-host, Jeff Anderson, for coming on. Thank you, WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world for taking my humble podcast and turning it into a radio broadcast. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, please follow me on social media. I am Stu Helm Food Fan. That's S-T-U-H-E-L-M-F-O-O-D-F-A-N. Stu Helm Food Fan on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Substack. And, uh, you know, by all means, if you eat something good, I want to hear about it. So let me know about it. All right, folks, I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.